Welcome to Get Messy, a Melbourne Emergency Student Society podcast covering all the crit care content that med school wants you to know, and then some. All the information is put together by medical students for medical students and should not be taken as medical advice. If you guys enjoy this podcast, please make sure to check out our Instagram, Facebook and website, which can be found in the description. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Get Messy. Um, Today I'm here with... Alex. And Ben. And today we're going to be talking about uh, paracetamol overdose, which Ben will take us through. And I think before we start, I want to say I'm so glad Brent's bought this to us because it is such a common thing that we see almost daily in the ED. Yeah, I guess um, a fun fact I learned is paracetamol is the most popular over-the-counter analgesic in the world. So... It is definitely something that people can accidentally overdose or intentionally overdose with, so it's pretty important to learn about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess like setting the scene, um, paracetamol poisoning is the most common cause of severe acute liver injury, um, and it's preventable with quick recognition and treatment. So it's one of those things that's really good to know about. Um, And as I was saying before, overdose can occur accidentally, which often occurs in kids. Um, Maybe they've been taking too much over over a number of days um, or intentionally, um, which necessitates some appropriate um, psych evaluation and follow-up. So today I thought we'd go over a case about how to manage a patient with paracetamol toxicity and sort of um, how to go through it according to the guidelines. It sounds a bit boring, but it is a bit confusing about know what to do at like what time point at which they mm-hmm. present. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's figuring out, you know, um, how to actually ask the right history questions to get to the right management um, and sort of some of the, the pitfalls and traps that you can fall into with management as well. Um, but it's important to note that we're going to be talking about single ingestion of immediate release paracetamol, sort of normal stuff you get from the chemist, not Panadol Osteo, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you have a sustained release formulation or people are taking it over a number of days and overdosing, it gets a lot more complicated. So we're going to be talking about the most, uh, I guess, simple case today. Okay. But what do you guys remember about paracetamol overdose or I guess some of the things to remember, like the big ticket <laughs> items? I think all I remember is that graph thing that you have to figure out where they're at and then you give the, the antidote stuff. Oh, the yep. nomogram. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. But I, I have to be honest, I can't remember how you read it or interpret it. So I'm glad we're going through it again today. Nice. All I kind of remember <laughs> is like, it's like a real throwback to MD, like first year kind of pathology stuff but like how their liver is set up in those little hexagons and that like one of the zones that's either closer to the edge or the center gets like hurt more oh yeah i remember that and that is like all i know like i feel like this might have been like a source of something last year and i've just completely like wiped it from my mind there's gonna be no mention of lobules But yeah, I think, yeah, we name drop a few things like the nomogram, which yeah. is pretty, pretty important. Um, but I guess we can illustrate most of the main things by talking about a case. Um, so in our case, a 32-year-old man presents to the emergency department um, and he's quite distressed. He says he took around 30 paracetamol pills four hours ago when the normal dose is about two pills. So that's quite a lot more than, than normal um, after breaking up with his partner the night before. And he says that he regretted taking the pills. So looking at that sort of stem, what kind of information are you guys looking at that you think could potentially be important? Um, so I think we want to know a bit more about the time course, like how quickly he took them and what's happened since. 
like we know he's taken 30 pills but what like if he's still got the packets like to see what dose each pill was and stuff Mm. like that yeah what about you alex i guess like what you were just bringing up before whether it's something like immediate release or was it sustained release because that's Mm -hmm. like you were saying before going to alter what we're doing um looking for other drugs and alcohol like whether that's you know prescribed medications that affect the liver as well or potentially hepatotoxic or you know illicit substances and the most common one alcohol we have to think about as well yeah for sure yeah and i guess as well in the context of and i mean i'm on psych at the moment so everything everything that i'm thinking about has a very psychiatric flavor to it but the fact that this seems like it was intentional um so i think having some sort of psychiatric evaluation to work out once we've stabilized this gentleman does he still pose a risk to himself um, moving yep. forward and is this likely to recur? So something like a risk assessment um, and brief assessment of his um, mental status, yeah. For sure. I think that that's definitely one of the main things we worry about, sort of the psychiatric um, problems that can occur with paracetamol overdose. Um, but I guess the main medical thing we worry about is hepatotoxicity or liver damage. Uh, and I guess paracetamol, in when normal people take it, it's a pretty safe drug. Like... Um, before I did medicine, I was sort of thinking that paracetamol and sort of ibuprofen were pretty similar, but I feel like NSAIDs cause a lot more problems for people than paracetamol mm. normally does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's only really bad when you, when you get to an overdose sort of level. Um, and that's sort of defined conservatively as greater than 10 grams in a person weighing 50 kilograms, um, or if they weigh less than that, using 200 milligrams per kilogram as sort of the dose at which you start to get worried about someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said before, it's a conservative estimate of when hepatotoxicity might occur. Mm-hmm. Um, so over that point, we, we start to get worried and we want to do some further investigations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the good news is we do have an antidote for um, paracetamol. Do you guys know what it is? Acetylcysteine? Yeah, so NAC. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> Alex absolutely smashed it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's a very effective um, medication. So if you get treated within the first eight hours after a um, an acute overdose with, with NAC, you're, you're basically going to be fine. It's 100% survival mm-hmm. um, or, or as close to it uh, as possible. Um, but within 15 hours or so, it has a good prognosis. Um, so the fact that this patient arrived within four hours is, is pretty reassuring. So they can you know give them a bag of NAC and hopefully everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess another important thing to note is paracetamol does cause liver toxicity, but that's sort of uh, a delayed response. It doesn't happen all straight away. So symptoms only start occurring around a 12-hour mark um, and are typically quite a late sign or a bad sign. So if someone was presenting with, you know, nausea or vomiting, right upper quadrant pain, so liver pain um, or sort of biochemical signs like their um, INR going off or LFT changes, it's generally bad news and they need to be treated straight away. Mm-hmm. So I guess there are some investigations we can do. Do you guys know some information that would be useful to look at? Um, so I guess if we're going to be thinking about that monogram we mentioned earlier, we probably want to measure out that paracetamol concentration in the patient's blood. And also some of those biochemical changes that you just mentioned, like the INR and the LFTs. For sure. Do you remember what the nomogram is or what it looks like, Alex? (laughs) 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 The only nomogram I can think of is like the neonatal bilirubin. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's burned into my brain. Is it like that? 
kind of, it goes up and then it plateaus. It's, it's actually good you bring that up because it's like the exact opposite <laughs> of the neonatal bilirubin. <laughs> as in like the bilirubin curve sort of like goes up with time, right? And they yeah. track it like as it goes up. But because it's a serum concentration of drug, the nomogram goes down with time. Right. Uh, and if you're above yeah. that line, uh, it's an indication for treatment with NAC. And if you're below that, that line, um, then you're sort of like clinically cleared, yeah. um, not from a psychiatric perspective, but from sort of a medical perspective. Yeah. Um, you're cleared and sort of can be discharged yeah. if everything is okay. Um, so the important thing about the nomogram is that it has like two axes. So depending on how it's measured, you need to use one of the it's sort of difficult to illustrate this in voice format but um you have to know what side of it you're sort of plugging your units into which can be a bit tricky sometimes um but yeah it's a really useful tool for seeing whether someone needs treatment or not so just sort of reiterating that if it's a serum paracetamol concentration is over the line of the nomogram then they get knack if it's below um then they basically don't need it um, and if it's more than double the nomogram then there's extra sort of management they get more knack or they might get a toxicology referral or something like that mm-hmm. if it's really really crazy um so yeah do we know like why we use that antidote like some of the mechanism behind it it's all right if uh, yeah not. i've <laughs> no idea what about you alex <laughs> i remember a game from first year that there was like that pathway of the paracetamol metabolism where it eventually hits a fork and like it's to do with what enzyme is available to metabolize mm-hmm. it if you use like the happy enzyme you're fine it just like goes down this pathway and the metabolites all like chill and just like gets weed out i, I think yeah slash excreted in some form <laughs> yeah and the other one is if that enzyme is like saturated and therefore it has to be metabolized in some other like roundabout way the metabolite that's produced in that roundabout way is toxic yeah so i think the antidote that we give changes that toxic metabolite to something not so toxic to us yeah that's perfect oh so... my god <laughs> <laughs> well done <laughs> um yeah so that's exactly right so what happens is when the first enzyme is saturated it goes to the second pathway which basically generates a compound called napki or napqi which is hepatotoxic and usually the body can get rid of that compound by using an antioxidant called glutathione, um, but that runs out with time. So you need to give something to regenerate a glutathione, which is um, the NAC. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's essentially, I guess, like a like an antioxidant you're giving them mm. um, yeah, I see. to try and regenerate that. And it's really, really effective. So I guess one of the more difficult things to understand with paracetamol toxicity is what to do depending on when they present to the ed so a lot of the management guidelines talk about you know what to do under two hours what to do under eight hours um so i guess we're just going to go through that so do you guys know about activated charcoal have you heard about that being used or a bit controversial Mm, i know it's controversial because like a lot of the time we use it for like ingestion of lots of just toxins it's kind of like a hail mary kind of treatment to clear the stomach the the only time i've seen it actually used was on bondi vet like a lot (laughs) (laughs) not like pesticide stuff but i think um yeah it's just like 
a charcoal drink, isn't it? Like black and it goes down and the activated charcoal like absorbs all the toxin. Yeah, it just binds stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a bit controversial because you absorb things pretty quickly. Um, yeah, okay. So if it's oh, been a few right. hours, like you're just chasing the dragon, like it's not really working properly yeah. um, because it's sort of too little too late. Um, but the guidelines do say that if it's under two hours um, with less than 10 grams or sorry, more than 10 grams of paracetamol, um, you can give it because it's like, I guess it's not going to cause a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. not many people having reactions to charcoal, anything like that. Um, but it's unlikely to give a lot of benefit. And then I guess um, you would use the nomogram to sort of, sort of determine where they're at. Yeah. Um, but the reason why we don't do the paracetamol level straight away is because the nomogram is only valid after four hours. Because okay. it can take up to four hours for the paracetamol to be absorbed yeah. into your serum. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So you only want to do the nomogram after four hours. And if they present after eight hours, you just give NAC anyway and worry about the nomogram later. So so there's kind of that window of time between like four hours and eight hours where after four hours getting a measurement of the serum paracetamol level is actually going to be really beneficial to helping guide our clinical actions. Exactly. Rather than eight hours, even if it's not available, you're kind of pushing the limit in terms of time. So you're just going to give NAC anyway. and correlate it after afterwards with the nomogram and be like did we do the right thing do we need to continue this or is it being sorted on its own yep that's perfect yeah so right. the sort of pathway we get taught in medical school which is like they present you do the paracetamol level if it's above or below start the nac it's only very it's quite constrained it's only between yeah. four and eight hours that you would do that kind of um, narrow time frame in terms of you know the whole logistics of ed sometimes yeah. as well like people won't disclose what they've actually done until they see a doctor and then they might be outside of that time frame if they've left it. Like, that's quite a narrow yeah, time frame. Exactly, Especially yeah. Especially with the four-hour rule itself, yeah. it's like that would almost put you over the edge. Exactly. Like, yeah. So it is, yeah, quite constrained in that way. But above eight hours, you still do an nomogram. And mm-hmm. like Alex said, it would guide whether you discontinue or continue the NAC. But, yeah, it wouldn't change your management about whether you started or not. Mm-hmm. Um it's also interesting if you don't know when they've taken it. So, for example, if they're really drunk or don't know when they took it or, or something like that, you would just start the NAC anyway and just treat it as if it was over eight hours and sort of assume the worst-case scenario. Yeah. Um, and I guess just a reminder again that we use that eight hours as the time to change management because below eight hours, NAC is 100% effective mm-hmm. and above eight hours, the efficacy starts going down. So mm-hmm. that's where we start being like, just give it anyway and worry about sort of the problems later yeah. yeah okay can you guys think about why we wouldn't give NAC to everyone just sort of if you walk in the door you've taken a little bit of paracetamol if it's 100 percent effective why wouldn't we just give it to everyone i guess from my perspective similar to like we spoke about with fluids a little while ago that although everything seems benign and if you know it's got this greater good attached to it of like it's an antidote it'll be fine it's still a medication so mm-hmm. like you'd still run the risk of anaphylaxis and allergy right yeah for sure so between 10 and 50 percent of people can get like a anaphylactoid reaction so it's like not true anaphylaxis but you get you can get symptoms similar to and that requires treatment so it's quite a lot up to 50 percent of people and then there are cases in which you can get anaphylaxis so definitely not 100 percent benign even though it's a really good treatment okay yeah do you guys want to have a think about how you would I guess, structure mental health support or sort of things you'd want to ask them or try and get a handle on? 
Well, so I think it's interesting in this case, um, I know we noted that the patient sort of regretted taking it and that this was a really impulsive thing and it was done after the breakup the night before. Um, so I think we want to get more of a mental health history and see if this is a, um, a long-term thing for this patient or whether it, it is just more of a short-term situation because those two things on their own are um, sort of risk factors that lower the risk and like make it more safe to send him home but mm. before you did that I think you'd want to find out about has there been any previous attempts um, if there's any other diagnoses and also maybe even call in a psych consult while they're in while you've got them in the ED to sort of make sure that they're cleared in that sense and I think also maybe even setting them up with some kind of community support so like mm. a psychologist or sending them to a GP to just get set up with a mental health plan because mm. I think even if we determine that they are safe to go home that it, it is still someone who is cl- clearly like struggling and does have moments that are struggling and is at least at risk of getting worse so mm. um, I think it's important not to lose sight of like the long-term yeah. um, situation here for sure yeah, I think one thing that particularly with this patient's age and, you know, gender is that, you know, it is becoming more and more common for young men to be much more connected with the medical system and have a good regular GP who they can see and talk to. Yeah. But it's still a problem for sure that a lot of people that they don't have a discharge destination for follow-up because they're like, oh, I've been to this clinic a couple of times when I've had, like, tonsillitis, but making sure to... Well, you've got the patient in the ED to encourage them to develop a relationship with a regular GP who can help follow up on things. And if they do have thoughts like this again, yeah. they can be the first port of call to help intervene and kind of prevent things from escalating to the point that they've escalated to in this circumstance. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's such a good point about the, the demographics of this patient and what we know about the risks. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to... If you guys look up sort of paracetamol overdose, it's sort of 100% talking about medical stuff and maybe a little bit on the side, it's like, oh, they need psychiatric evaluation. Mm. Um, But I think for adult paracetamol overdose, which is overwhelmingly um, sort of uh, intentional, um, yeah, these, they're basically 50-50, sort of like the medical and the the psychiatric. Mm. so yeah, that's basically the the big ticket items. I guess it's worth talking a little bit about the worst case scenario, even though um, we hope that it doesn't ever get to that point. Um, if a patient presented, you know, with symptoms or they've taken a massive overdose and they've delayed presentation, um, it can be a very serious situation. So uh, they might be an acute liver failure, um, have a lot of metabolic derangement, their INR might be off. Um, so they will very likely need intensive care admission um, and then work up to see sort of what the extent of the damage is. Um, there's a scoring system called the King's College Criteria, um, which basically recommends based off uh, things like uh, the INR and I believe um, acidosis and, and those sorts mm-hmm. of things, who should be immediately referred for liver transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was created because in the UK they have really, really high rates of paracetamol overdose. So that hospital yeah, okay. was very much at the center of it so even though it's i would say i mean i have actually no idea but my intuition is that it's not super common to have a liver transplant from paracetamol overdose in australia mm. um but i know it maybe it is yeah. I'd, be, I'd be curious to see it given you know austin has the liver transplant center for victoria i'd be really yeah. curious to see if there's a local guideline in place mm. that you know, either includes an altered version of King's College or something like that, or whether they just use it. But I'd be, I'd be really interested to see that, actually. Yeah. yeah. 
No, it is interesting. So I guess, do you guys want to take us through the summary of what we've talked about today? Sure. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you've been the, the guru on this so far, so I'll see what I can remember. Basically, that paracetamol overdose is the leading cause of severe liver injury that we see in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that dose, the really important dose, greater than a, uh, greater than 10 grams if the person's at 50 kilograms. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Or 200 milligrams per kilogram if they're below 50. Yeah. Um, I think also just that number gram that we've been talking about and using that to guide management and also about that time window of like that really sort of be that process of getting it and then deciding what to do is sort of only in the four to eight hour window and if it's above eight hours you just start the knack. Yeah. Um, and also I think just that point about the mental health support and, and just to not even though it is you know an emergency situation you've got to fo- focus on the medical situation first to just not lose sight of that or let that get dropped because it is just so important for um prevention mm-hmm. um and then i guess that last point that you were just talking about like the risk of the fulminant hepatic failure mm-hmm. and risk of you know complete metabolic derangement and potentially death um sorry like, even if you discharge someone after they've had the toxicity it's important to you know provide that education on discharge about if you develop these symptoms represent with these specific instructions for triage. I think that's something that I've learned a lot recently is like providing solid education on discharge with instructions about what to tell the triage person, mm-hmm. not just, oh, I was in a little while ago with this, that I had a paracetamol overdose, received NAC, and I'm now receiving, uh, now I have right upper quadrant pain and I've gone yellow, like yep. that kind of thing. Exactly. So I guess safety netting is something that yeah, yeah. this year has sort of been drummed into us, mm. which I think is really important. And yeah, it, there are rare cases where someone could be below the nomogram line and not get treated and develop symptoms. Mm. Um, so even though that would be really rare, uh, it's still important to provide that that education. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess, the, the main things about paracetamol overdose. I don't think there's super much to know at a med student level. It's more like the antidote is NAC, mm-hmm. um, there's a nomogram, and if it's above it, then we give the, the treatment. But it's sort of nice to know a little bit more because it is a really common presentation. Uh, there are some really good resources. There's a um, Medical Journal of Australia article um, that has basically the treatment algorithm, which is really good to look at visually um, because it's quite difficult to understand um, in sort of an audio format. Uh, and also there's a Life in the Fast Lane page that basically has instructions of what to do at what hour they present with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be really helpful as well. So we'll leave links to those in the show notes um, and you guys can check it out if you're interested. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Incredible. Thank you so much for teaching us, Ben. I yeah. feel like I've walked away with you know, a million times more knowledge about this than I ever had. I don't know why, but every time a friend teaches me something, I'm like, yeah, of course. But the second it's like a lecture, I'm like, nah, none of this is sticking. Yeah, no, I like this topic. It's good. Alrighty, thanks guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.